Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call, or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course for GP in capitals. And we will definitely catch you then. The new information about the contract dropped just a couple of days ago. And in this episode, you're going to be joined by myself, Andy, and a couple of extra guests, including Ben Gowan from the General Practice Podcast and Tara from the Business of Healthcare Podcast, as we talk about our reactions to the new variations in the contract, what this means for us, networks, general practice, and possibly yourself. Let's get cracking, shall we? How are we doing, everybody? Good. Yeah. Thanks for having Thank us, Gandhi. Cool. So everyone's probably heard or at least possibly even read the new variations to the contract that are coming in the next couple of weeks and stuff. And there's been a lot of emotion coming out in general practice about what this potentially means. Is this a contract for recovery? Is this a contract that's possibly the death knell of general practice? And we thought it'd be really useful to get people's perspective on this and really happy to have both Ben and Tara joining us for this episode. And I'm going to pass over first to Ben, if that's all right, to give his immediate reactions in terms of what he thought when he saw, read and heard about this variation. Take it away, Ben. Yeah, see, the, I think the thing for me, probably most interesting about the whole piece is the fact that it's uh, it's not actually a new contract, right? So it's a contract that was agreed in 2019 that we're three years into. And essentially, the message coming out is it hasn't changed and we're not prepared to change it. Uh, what, what's interesting, of course, sit behind that is we have a new GPC exec that had a mandate to try and negotiate a whole new contract. And basically, the message pretty clearly back from the center was, we're not going to do that. So there's a kind of, well, where does that all leave us? I think there's some stuff in there that was quite interesting for me. So one of the questions that I think has been hanging over PCNs in particular is what happens at the end of the five years. And I think for the first time, we got something in writing that said, okay, when the five years is over, things are basically going to carry on as at the end of year five, and we expect that to be on a rolling basis. So essentially, we've got in black and white that PCNs are here to stay. And I thought that message came through quite clearly. So you, you, what you understand is that the um, the priorities of the centre are access, we can talk about that I'm sure, but also the, the priority of PCNs remains. So I think that's really interesting. And I think the point about it not being negotiated, I think what's interesting about that is that the sort of, whether it's the government or whether it's NHS England sending a message that um, we think you've got a good deal and we're not prepared um, to change that deal because it gives you a good deal and it gives us it gives us what we want as well. And if we are going to change the deal, it'll be in two years' time. It isn't going to be now. And so I think what what's important for practices and PCNs is to think, well, what does that mean for us now? I'm sure we'll get into that. Cool. Tara, what did you think hearing about and reading about it? So interesting because I 
yeah, I saw it very differently. I think my first reaction was like, don't react. Um, there is some things that we need. There's like business as usual. And then and from my with my PCN manager hat on, it's what do we need to think about kind of immediately? And then what do we need to start planning and thinking about in the future? And I think we had a conversation around access and staffing and that kind of increased um, access over the weekend. Lots of people think that's negative, but I do know that we've turned away some people that did want to work at the weekends. So I think it is, I would start putting the feelers out in my network. And I think there is an opportunity there. It's not going to work for everybody, but I think my first reaction is read it, take stock, and then discuss it with the network. And let's be pragmatic. I watched um, your video and that was really helpful. And I think it is about being pragmatic. There are things that we don't know and let's not stress about those things. Let's wait a little bit. And the things that we can start to proactively think around about access and how we want to do it and what organisations can help us deliver that access if we don't have the capability in our network. There are organisations there. So that was my initial reaction. But I think I'm going to I'm going to mull it over a little bit before getting in a frenzy. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's definitely some detail in the letter that came out. Um, there's not a huge amount of detail when it comes to some of the more um, finer parts of it and stuff. But um, I, I guess, like you say, definitely taking stock of what's there and, and trying to understand what that means moving forward. Andy, what were your thoughts? Because I know we hope to do a reaction, but um, obviously that didn't happen. Um, and people have had a bit more time to digest the document. What's your thoughts in terms of what it's been looking like and stuff? Yeah, so I think like many, many people, you know, this document landed while I was, um, you know, busy uh, working. So some of the first uh, feedback I got back about the document was um, things popping up on WhatsApp or, you know, people reposting sort of news stories and responses in Pulse. Um, and a lot of that was quite worrying um, and centred around the extended access or, you know, increased access sort of element of the document. So, um, so that was the first exposure that I'd had to this document. Um, and then the next exposure was watching your summary, Gandhi, which was really, really good. And if people haven't watched that, they should definitely watch that because it's a really, really good introduction to the document. Um, and then when I finally got hold of the document, um, I was immediately sort of flicking through and, and my attention was drawn to the areas and the annexes around extended access because the first deadline for networks in the document is the deadline at the end of July when they need to submit their plans for how they're gonna implement um, these changes to the extended um, access and extended hours requirements for primary care networks and this requirement to deliver this new concept of network hours uh, from 6.30 to late in the evening and nine to five um, at the weekend. Um, and, you know, uh, for someone who works on the ground, both in a, a federation that's involved in delivery of extended access and in a primary care network, um, that was what I saw was the biggest change and where to uh, take my attention to first. Um, my reactions when reading it were, well, I mean, this is not something that's unexpected. We've been expecting this change around extended access for, for quite a long time. And in fact, there have been a lot of false starts. We thought that this was going to happen this April. We thought it was going to happen uh, last April. But now we finally get some detail about what is happening um, and when. Uh, the other thing that I think was interesting is that it's not necessarily talking about new work. I think in, in many or most areas, uh, clinicians are already working these hours and delivering um, uh, appointments within these hours they might not necessarily be doing it within the specific pcn footprint and it's uh, and these 
uh, appointments that are not necessarily shared across all of the PCN practices and accessible from each PCN practice, you know, as will be a requirement going forwards uh, from October. But there are staff working these hours. So um, so some of those initial sort of conversations that, that were filtering through to me about people like, oh gosh, we're going to be forced to work at the weekend. You know, I can't convince my um, my salary staff or the partners to work at the weekend. Um, you know, I was I was thinking, well, there is actually a workforce working these hours, or at least you know, in our area, in, in the area that I have direct contact with. They're just not necessarily in the place where they they need to be working going forward from the first of October. So I was thinking, actually, the task is probably one of reconfiguration, really, to get um, get the workforce and the people and the appointments sort of to the the new place and the new hours and operating in the new way. So uh, I guess I was, I guess what I'm saying is I, was, I, I really went for the weeds really and started thinking about how this can actually work and how people are going to redeploy to deliver this aspect of it. Um, that was the most exciting part of the document um, for me, Gandhi. I was initially worried, having looked at the document, I was less worried, but I think there are some big challenges still there around IT, interoperability, um, practice cooperating, seeing each other's patients, lots of challenges, but, but you know, I'm the sort of person that likes trying to solve problems, I guess. So, uh, so uh, went for the weeds and, and and dig in. What did you think, Andy? I think there's lots of um, interesting parts to it. Um, I think there's a lot of media attention that's come to the nine to five part on Saturday, um, which, as you mentioned, it's it's stuff that's actually most areas are already doing. It's just it's reframed it a little bit, um, and, and I think that's part of the challenge. The more interesting part, I thought, was, as you mentioned, it's that interoperability aspect of things that actually appointments should be available to all patients across the entire network. And I think that may be a bit more of a challenge for some places, particularly if you've got mixed economies in terms of um, clinical health systems, like you know, if you've got a mix of EMIS, Vision, System 1, that kind of stuff, that's going to prove a bit of a challenge for some places because you have to have the IT working, otherwise it's not going to work. Um, we all know that IT, when it wants to work, is great. When it doesn't want to work, it just makes life so much more difficult, doesn't it? Um, and then there's that concept of, of what that looks like across the patches. You mentioned about increased fundings. So there's only one real part that talks about increased funding, as far as I can remember, which is an increase um, in the IIF looking at uh, fit testing and DOAC monitoring. Um, that will be interesting because I think for some places that will be really easy to achieve. I think for some places that will be a massive change in the way they do things. Um, and that's going to bring additional work at a time where, in some places, this was badged as a you know a variation to help general practice recover from what's happened with COVID. And that's the part I don't really agree with. I don't think this helps with recovery of general practice. I think it's just continuing the contract that was agreed, you know, three years ago um, and just telling us we have to keep doing what we're doing, which is what Ben's point was, you know, that actually it's a contract that was agreed a few years back and we're being told to still keep doing it. More interesting part, I think, is obviously the fact that GPC haven't agreed to this. And that's the first time I believe that's happened to my knowledge, or at the very least since I've been practicing. And the impact of that, I think, is going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Um, I mean, what do people feel about this tension, I guess, that seems to be brewing between NHS England and GPC in terms of the, the, the fact that it's an unnegotiated contract? Yeah, I mean, we saw we saw um, the prospect of industrial action, didn't we, in the autumn um, when a similar letter dropped around winter access funding, uh, potentially created more of a stir than this document has. Um, but I do, like yourself, I do wonder how the GPC will will respond. You know, their sort of their authority and their position is sort of significantly undermined by this coming out without their uh, discussion or approval. We don't know exactly what's happened, uh, but it looks like that could be the case. Um, so. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. And I think I think it's interesting. So I think there's a signal that started in that about um, the kind of desire of the centre for general practice, for the sort of contract for general practice to be negotiated nationally and centrally on a year on year basis, like it has been historically. And I wonder if the kind of the, the shift away from it from from an agreement, which I think you know, interesting that always historically would have tried to have achieved. It's, it's, it's in part because I think you know there was a new there's a new negotiating committee on the on the GPC. They clearly weren't up for um, framing any changes within the existing five year contract, and so I think they got to the point where they thought, well, we can't find an agreement that's going to work there. So I think you know there's kind of questions around how the new committee how that all worked but we don't know we'll never know what the reality of that was i think the, the interesting signal is what will happen at the end of the five-year contract and so specifically is it a kind of a sort of message saying that you know pcns are here to stay but how will the pcn funding and contracts be negotiated post the end of this five-year contract and is and is it starting to say you know be interesting i mean we won't really get the full picture, will we, till we get what comes out of the fuller review. But it may be that the PCNs and the funding for that starts to be negotiated at the ICS level rather than at a national level. And it feels to me that there might be an indicator for that. Just there's one other thing that I would say is, you know, your point that the NHS England, you know, government through NHS England are sending a message saying that they think that the funding that general practice needs is in the existing contract and there's nothing else is needed for recovery i think there's kind of you know my sense of what's an appropriate response to that i think the, the primary response needs to be well if we need to be a lot more explicit about pcn the role of pcns in the sustainability of general practice so i hear lots of stories and you'll experience some of this where you know you've got a mental health worker saying no oh, i can't do this bit of work for the pcn because it somehow links to a you know a a les contract and the gp practice will get income because of that and there's, there's some somehow or you know that the, the, the ars staff can't do this work because it's for practices and it's not pcn work and kind of we have this sort of distinction between pcn work and practice work and i think general practice needs to be a lot more explicit about the role of pcns in the sustainability of general practice and be a lot less um defensive and a lot less apologetic for work that uh, pcn resources do that's directly for practice and is part of that sustainability general practice. And I think by being more explicit about the use of that resource for the sustainability general practice will actually enable some of the potential that exists within the current contract to actually translate through to practice in a way that maybe it hasn't been able to in the first um, three years of the contract. And I think just picking up from that on a real practical level, so there's this strategic document, there's all this noise, but from a, as a manager on the ground, a CD on the ground, and my approach to just waiting but I'm also going to be talking a lot to my network and my practices and the clinical leads to kind of do a little bit of a temperature check because there is a tension in some areas there is a tension so there is what does the future hold and how do we strategically plan but then there's there is the here and now and just making sure if you're not on the same page trying to you know where are we moving to so it's there is it's us and not practice and PCN. So there is, I think this document provides a bit of a catalyst to make sure the relationships, you, 
you really try to start building a stronger sense of relationship, even if you don't know what the future holds. But at the very least, you want to feel like we are a team, we are a network and we're going to work it out versus them, us funding competition. I think that can bring lots of different challenges to how the CD role works with a lot of that. Because if you're trying to coordinate all this stuff, you might be thinking, oh, my God, how on earth can I possibly do this? That's crazy. Well, if you wanted to join us, we're more than happy to help support you doing that as part of our PCM Plus course that will take you through all the different changes and stuff that's happening. Obviously, we do expect from April we'll have new contract variations. It's already indicated in the letter in terms of the anticipatory care and personalized care aspects of things, which those details are still to drop, as well as how on earth do you make that whole team working aspect thing that Tara mentioned in terms of nice, happy, collaborative PCM move forward and have no problems whatsoever <laughs> that'd be awesome wouldn't it well we're hoping that we can help support you doing that with the four of us leading on the pcm plus course which you're more than welcome to join us for and if you want details of that check out the links below because they will be there to show you how you can sign up and look at the content of the course moving forward any thoughts yourselves guys in terms of what this looks like moving forward from there well, just, I mean, yeah, very on what Tara says, I think the challenge for PCNCDs is is incredible now going forward because they're, you're moving into this whole new integrated care system environment. So the kind of protection, I think, that both practices and um, PCNs have had from CCGs will kind of disappear. So you've got this kind of challenge of the external role and you've got the challenges that, you've, that people have already had around, you know, um, managing the PCN and of course you've got the doubling of the workforce over the next two years that's going to happen at the same time. So if you think kind of you're on your own, you're managing down, you've now got the whole you know, future general practice kind of sits sits in your lap as well, it is a lot on your plate. And I think one of the key things for PCN CDs is work out how they're getting the support they need and the skills they need to be able to do this because I think PC, a lot rests for general practice on PCN CDs and then being able to do their job effectively. Definitely, I'd say. I think the importance of respond, like strategically responding and not reacting um, is so, so, so important. And having a group of people to help you process those thoughts and quite quickly, you have to process them quite quickly, um, is really, really key. But it's, yeah, you kind of got to have one eye forward, backwards, sideways, below. Um, but there is a team. Your CDs do have a, we talk about CDs, but you do have, we do have a team and that's your managers, that's clinical leads, that's your practices. It is, there is a leader, but it is a team. And I was just going to add, I think this is potentially a big test of um, CDs sort of soft skills going forward, so the diplomacy. Um, you know, one way of reading this is that PCNs are sort of becoming the, the engine of change for, um, for, for the NHS and the focus of change. And, um, you know, moving everybody forwards together, all the practices in a primary care network together through that change that might be driven in, in a direction that they're not initially attracted to is really, really, really challenging. So I think there's a, a really broad toolkit of skills that CDs really, really need to navigate this landscape going forwards. Uh, you know, there's lots of challenges, there's lots of rewards, there's lots of potential that primary care networks can deliver, but I think CDs really, really need to be equipped in a way that um, I don't think any of us thought was necessary, you know, going into these roles, you know, two, two and a half years ago. So, um, so it, I think it's going to be really good um, to, to help, um, you know, those CDs who, who join us um, with, with, uh, with, uh, with learning those skills. Absolutely. 
So do check out PCM Plus and you can look at that at bit.ly slash PCM Plus Coin Capitals. Alternately, check out Ben's podcast, the General Practice Podcast. It's an absolute essential listen to every single week, along with Tara's stuff in terms of the business of healthcare podcast. And as always, we are here to help support you as we continue to try and help you tech enhance your primary care and learning. And we will catch you in the next episode. Oh, hello there, EGP learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf, and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because, let's be honest, I don't use EMIS on a regular basis. So therefore, trying to help EMIS users is a little bit more difficult for myself. And that really made me feel, well, not great. So I kind of did something to try and help all those EMIS users out there. I went and had a chat with one of my colleagues, Dr. Mike from GP on the Move, and him and I have created a course that you can use to help you use EMIS so much better. That's right. If you use EMIS, but you want to use it so much better, so much quicker, and in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our EMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, Tech Enhance, your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash TPP S1 course.